I'm Steve, and you're listening to Protoss because you are motivated to explore and understand more about the kingdom. I'm joined by this podcast's founder, Wayne Back, who draws on his personal and academic background, including previously being a physicist, businessman, educator, and senior pastor to understand the kingdom and interpret scripture. Now, Wayne's also a prolific author on the subject of the kingdom, and we'll be referring to some of that material that he's authored over the years in today's podcast. You can find those resources if you're interested at kingdomculture.com.au or on the teaching platform udemy.com. Today, we'll continue exploring what kingdom leadership actually is. Now, as a businessman, I've come across many theories of leadership over the years, and some of these include the great man theory, where leaders are born, not made, trait theory, where there are ideal characteristics for leaders, skill theory, where there's technical, personal, and conceptual skills that make leaders. There's the style theories, where leaders have to adopt certain styles. Situational leaderships, where leaders adapt to each situation. There's contingency theory, choose an appropriate leader for each scenario. Transactional leadership, where leaders use a mix of rewards, incentives, and punishment. Even transformational leadership, where leaders inspire, encourage, and care for followers. Quite a list there, Steve, and I'm sure there's probably more that uh, we could come up with as well. Oh, look, I tried (laughs) to cut the list down as much as possible. And certainly we can all learn from all of these different leadership theories. There's truth in all of them, but kingdom leadership comes from a different place. In the previous podcast, we mentioned that all kingdom leadership stems from servanthood. Thomas Jefferson, who was third president of the USA, said, whenever a man has cast a longing eye on public office, a rottenness begins in his conduct. Now, that's a pretty (laughs) severe view of anyone seeking to be a leader, isn't it? Yes. However, I think some of us have an underlying suspicion that this might be the case for political leadership. Thomas Jefferson noted that many people do not have pure motives for leadership. If you really do long for leadership, you're probably not thinking about kingdom leadership. I guess not many people long to be someone's servant or slave in the way society interprets those words today. In fact, it's probably countercultural to the leadership aspirations of contemporary society, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. But uh, we should get some context as to what Jesus was saying when, when he said, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. So that means there's two levels of kingdom leadership here, isn't there? Yes, there is. It is important, as you said, Steve, to understand what the context, what, what those words actually meant at the time. The word servant is a Greek word, diakonos, which is otherwise translated deacon. It was really used of a person that runs errands or is a waiter at a table. These people, they lived their own lives separate from whom they're serving and just did a task for them and went home. So that's, that's how the word servant was. They did something for them and they, and they left them. In the first century, in the Roman Empire, a slave was a Greek word, doulos, which was uh, actually a different type of person. They lived with the master's family, was fully devoted to them, did whatever task was asked of them, was trusted by them, and even looked after their children. And so if I had to give a modern-day example of this word slave, it's like our personal assistant, our nanny, and our housekeeper, whereas a servant is more like our waiter at a restaurant. That's a very good explanation, and it suggests to me that the higher in the kingdom leadership we want to go, we need to be more attentive to others' needs. And it's really built on relationship. It's not a punitive relationship. It's really a a slave is highly regarded and brought into the family, but they still didn't make really their own choices. 
Uh, I've shared in previous podcasts that servant leadership was the key to the success of my business. I was compelled to start and build the business from a kingdom leadership perspective. And I never really thought of any alternative way as an option. But in hindsight, kingdom or servant leadership turned out to be what I call the secret source of the success of that business. I'm interested to hear your experiences and perspective on how scripture supports the concept of kingdom leadership and that it requires servant leadership. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Like you, I've been on on a journey of understanding and doing these things. We referred to a passage in the previous podcast from 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 20. Paul said to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law as without the law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, Paul's world was filled with all these different types of people, and he served them by finding as much common ground with them as possible. He served them by adjusting his behaviour with them, and in doing so, he won them and became a leader to them and accepted by them and certainly respected by them in some cases as well. So sometimes we need to adjust our behaviour to reflect the people we're with, but also to reflect who we want to be rather than who we actually are. Yes, Paul was modifying his behaviour depending on the people group he was with out of a deep, genuine reverence and respect for their beliefs and lifestyle and not to offend them. In the process, he was able to be accepted and respected by them. Now, this enabled him to bring the kingdom to those groups of people. I'm sure when he was with the Jews, he would eat kosher food and wear a funny hat. (laughs) With the Gentiles, he'd eat freely. With the weak, he would limit his liberties so they wouldn't challenge them. Some Christians seem to make a lifestyle of trying to find as many differences with people as possible. But Paul said it was an act of servanthood to minimise the difference he had with people. So servant leaders adjust their approach to help or serve different types of people. Yes, leaders who operate in a one-size-fits-all approach will only generally help one type of person. Yeah, and I can see how that type of leader would end up having followers with similar characteristics to themselves. In the commercial world, that'd be a bit like the halo effect, isn't it? They'd be limiting themselves to help people who only have the needs of a particular and probably very narrow area, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's certainly an outcome for one such leader. You see these groups all around the place where the group looks like the leader. They imitate the leader. So what happens is those sort of people are attracted to the leader, those people are not like the leader come and go. They even dress the same way and <laughs> talk, talk the, the same, same way, way. <laughs> use the same corporate speak. We just talk the we same way. We've been spending too much time together. We might not have the same groups of people to consider as Paul did, but we all have different types of people around about us. So we should consider how we can adjust our behaviour to serve them. Okay, and those that are familiar with Daniel Goldman's leadership styles, he's a, a leader in the modern contemporary times on emotional intelligence. I'm sure those that are familiar will see some similarities here. What we do in this next section is a bit of a merger of Daniel Goldman's language with scriptural references because there's a really great alignment about those things on this topic. Matthew 11 said about Jesus, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. One of the ways we can serve people is by being inclusive, by being relational. We don't see this at work a lot, funnily enough, in the church engaging with the world. It seems to be exclusive and judgmental. Kingdom leadership often starts at this place by sharing our life with other people. 
Now, this is a really good thing to consider when we're new in any leadership role in any situation. It's to start off being relational. That's, in fact, what Jesus did. Leadership that doesn't start with relationship is often based in some sort of positional leadership. Leadership that doesn't start with relationship is often based on some type of positional leadership. Now, that's a quote that's going to stay with me, Wayne. (laughs) Jesus modelled relational leadership to us. He spent time with a variety of people. He spent time with the disciples. Apart from doing ministry, he went on holidays together. Paul was a relational leader. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, he says, We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Paul told the church at Thessalonica that he and his group shared their lives with him. They'd become dear to them. If leaders are going to help others, we should take the time to find out where people are at in order to help them to go where God wants them to go. This goes beyond just doing research. You really need to walk in their shoes and better understand who they are, what their wants are, what their needs are, and what their aspirations are. It's a way of serving people. It's a way of winning people. But you don't do it because of that. You do it because people are valuable. Mm. People have their own journeys and their own perspectives. And we can learn from every person we're engaged in, no matter what position of leadership we think we hold. We need to listen to people's life story, be transparent and vulnerable, and be generally interested in them. It, it, it means a lot. It certainly has to be genuine. There has to be right. integrity. It can't be, you know, I'm working through my leadership checklist here. Point <laughs> one, be relational. The more that we relate to people, the more we get to know their strengths and weaknesses, their goals, their motivations, and their temperament. And as we truly understand them, we can learn how to best serve them. When leaders are relational, they create that harmony, they build trust. They increase that loyalty, don't they? Yeah, relational leaders have the ability to to put the people before the task. That is important. Now, Mm. if you're task-oriented, that's going to sound like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that's the position I come from in my journey as well. Like, I'm still very task-focused. But people are more important than task. Leaders who are relational have other benefits. They can help to get conflicting groups to work together. They can help to create harmony. It's really important if you're a new leader that you can adopt this style. You do serve people by by getting to know them and uh, their aspirations. And the the rub is, is as people get to know us and like us, their desire to connect with us increases. As the old adage goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So the first way to adjust our behaviour to serve others and become a kingdom leader is to be inclusive and to be relational. Absolutely. Let's move on to another way. I think a second way we can serve people is by helping to develop them. Jesus said in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And so making disciples involves not only helping a person in their faith, but also to develop them, developing them generally in their spiritual journey, but also in their unique gifts and calling. As a servant leader, we may have experiences and knowledge that propel a person into their future. Yeah, Ephesians 4 talks about ascension gifts, and we all have a, a measure of these gifts. And these, the purpose of these gifts are for development. When we read through the gifts in Romans 12, they're about serving others, which may not lead to development. But the Ephesians 4 gifts are about development and I would encourage you to do a survey or some understanding about 
what sort of development gifts we have because part of serving people is to help them to have the capacity to get from A to B. Coaching and mentoring can be an important part about that. Typically in coaching and mentoring, we understand their goals. Um, we understand their strengths and weaknesses. We help them to form a plan and we provide support to them and feedback on their progress. Now, your online course called Personal Transformation covers a lot of this, including the five key processes of personal transformation. Listeners can access this course at newtome.com or at kingdomculture.com.au. Yeah, thanks, Steve. We're going to a bit more fully there. We've talked already about being inclusive and relational. We talked about being development. These are big issues, of course, that we're just covering very quickly. But I think the third way is to really help people by devaluing their perspective, being able to have a more democratic style when necessary. Acts 15 in the Council of Jerusalem, they reached the decision on this basis in verse 28, says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. This scripture tells us that the group made a decision by having something seeming good to us as well as the Holy Spirit. The members of the group were asked, they gave their opinion, a consensus was formed. Democratic leaders include others' viewpoints in work and decisions. Mm -hmm. They ask the relevant people about their perceptions and ideas mm -hmm. and they synthesise group decisions. Just like all of these aspects of servanthood, it's not a one-size-fits-all. We just don't automatically be, do everything in a democratic way, but we need to, I believe, be able to do that. And as we do, we build commitment of groups. We also generate new ideas because people feel like they've got some say in, in the way things go forward. When we're working with groups, this style is most effective with competent team members and engaged. It's with people who already have the skills and motivation and we're just really getting them together to generate energy. Democratic leaders increase buy-in by valuing other people's perspective. Absolutely. And so and if we want to develop that democratic aspect of servanthood, some simple things we can do, we can include some discussion about important things, things that haven't already been decided. Share information, share why things happened or what things are influencing and uh, shaping the way you're going forward, and including others in decision-making. We don't need to cast a ballot every time, but we, we need to understand how to build consensus. It's important that we avoid becoming a management by committee sort of approach as well. And I'm sure many of us understand this example where committees can become ineffective. So quite often occurring where authority is split among committee members and no one in particular can be held responsible for decision making or outcomes. Controlling leaders use democracy to slow things down. It doesn't necessarily need to be serving by using democracy. Sometimes people use it just to try to get people to forget about a situation. So it is an effective leadership style, but just beware that it's not overused. Another aspect of servant leadership, when we mentioned in the previous podcast, is to set an example. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. I think this is such a telling scripture about you know, because it does refer to leaders and it says, well, how should we relate to leaders? Consider the result of their contact, not just to do what they tell us to do. Mm -hmm. What is their conduct leading to do? That's what we should be doing with all leaders. That's quite and insightful. It is very insightful, isn't it? Mm. And to imitate their faith. It doesn't say imitate their personality or imitate their humanity, imitate their faith. There's some real gems right in that scripture there, especially considering the result of their conduct. 
Some leaders lead by saying, do as I say, and they do something completely different in their own lives. But this actually says we should actually take note of what people do. It seems that some leaders really do believe that people do as they say and not as they do. (laughs) Yes. They say culture is caught, not taught. We can as leaders and we should as leaders serve people by showing them an example of faith, of how we do things. We set examples by accomplishing results to a high standard and then having people to observe what we do and and just imitating and doing as we do. Imitation is a great way to start, I think, in leadership. And we see those examples reflected in Scripture as well. Paul expected the Corinthian church to observe his behaviour and behave in the same way. So kingdom leaders set an example of faith and character. This allows others to imitate that example, as Paul suggested. Now, that reminds me a bit of in the corporate world, we call it the pace setting style. For those that have, as we mentioned before, have looked at the Goldman stuff, say, hey, I can see this happening. That's actually purposeful for this podcast. Imitation or pace setting works because people have a model to observe and follow and do similar tasks. Captains in sporting teams need to be able to operate in this style. All of their off-field leadership qualities don't mean much if they don't perform well during the game. They don't have the skills and motivation during that game, which is essentially 90 or 120 minutes of crisis. And in an organisational context, pacing style works well for a team or organisation to move quickly for a short period of time. It works also only if followers are self-motivated and competent. If you are setting an example and people don't have the motivation or don't have the skills to follow that, of course, it's not going to work. Ideally, a servant or kingdom leader will also set examples using multiple styles to suit the circumstances, won't they? Yeah, even as kingdom leaders, we we have crises that need to be solved. And so you don't solve everything by being democratic. I mean, if there's a crisis, if we had a fire in this building right now and the fireman come in and says, listen, fire in the building, let's form a focus group to brainstorm some of the best ways to get out of the building. It's probably not the right style. He needs to be a pace setter. He or she needs to be a pace setter at that point in time. Kingdom leadership is more about example than expectations. Leadership by example means that I'm going somewhere. If you want to come, fantastic, but I'm not going to try to make you come. Here's the way to do things. Here's the way to go and learn from that or not. It's up to you. Some very good points here on the different styles. And and as you said earlier, this type of leadership does work well with those who are already competent and motivated. Yeah, in a work situation, it means we're able to jump into the front line and set an example and to help to get the job done. Of course, to do that, a leader needs to maintain the technical skills which are necessary for their profession. Otherwise, they can't lead by example, can they? Absolutely. How else can we improve our leadership skills in the kingdom? Now, this is an interesting one, the next one, I think, because some people think, well, we shouldn't be this type of leaders. But I think another way kingdom leaders can serve people is having the ability to give clear directions. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 7, he says, and these things command that they may be blameless. Paul's telling Timothy to command people to behave in a certain way. And in doing so, they have a good outcome. They're blameless. As kingdom leaders, we also need to be able to give clear directions. Otherwise, being directive or sometimes negatively labelled as micromanaging, and we should expect at times for people to do as we tell them to do. So when we're being directive, we give people specific instructions and we expect compliance. We don't give people room to make their own decisions. We monitor them closely and often give frequent corrective feedback. And once again, this style works well in a crisis situation and it can be the best way to serve people. Your example earlier of a fireman evacuating a building, I can't see them (laughs) 
turning around and forming a committee on that, will they? No, it's, it's clearly ridiculous. And sometimes within groups of people, there are crises. And sometimes as a leader, you are the best equipped to make the decision or you do have the authority or you do have the connections. You have some resource that enables you to get something done quickly that, that the general group doesn't. And it is an aspect of servanthood to use that at that point in time to serve people, to help them. Otherwise, you know, be a more negative outcome. That works well for straightforward tasks and high-risk situations that deviate from strict guidelines, but it may result in significant negative consequences as well. Yeah, absolutely. Some leaders are, are really great at being directive, so they elevate a lot of things to, to be crises so that they can use their default directive styles. Creating crisis where there isn't, well, that <laughs> sounds to me like something that should be avoided because it, it can be destructive when used in an emotionally charged, directive manner as well, or to satisfy her leaders' insecurities. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I think leaders who have a strong directive streak in them, they look for crises. <laughs> they pick them out of small situations and bring them up and say, well, we've got a big problem here and this is how we're going to solve it and creating an us and them and all that kind of stuff. Having said that, a directive style is most effective with simple tasks or when a person is new, unskilled or unmotivated or simply when everything else has failed and the thing just needs to be done. I can hear a leader just saying in an exasperated way, just do it this way. Well, if, if we're working with a person who's unskilled, it's actually serving them by taking the time to give detailed instructions, mm -hmm. to follow up. Mm -hmm. The easy thing to do is let, let them fail, to let them do a substandard job. The harder thing to do is to spend the time, but that can be one of the most powerful development tools to map out very clearly and precisely and help a person to see where they're deviating. So if, if it's within the budget and <laughs> scope to be able to enable someone to fail, it could be one of the best learning opportunities for them. Right, yeah. I mean, we let people fail, I think, uh, when it hasn't got a lot of consequences. So if we're wanting to be directive, we need to make sure we know the work. We need to know how to be direct, be clear and precise. It's not the time to waffle. Now, some leaders find it difficult to be directive, and so they do find crises or underperforming staff very difficult. We do need certain skills in being directive in our clarity of communication, in our ability to set clear standards and our ability to, to monitor people and to help them to improve. Giving directions and being directive is an important style. We've seen that example in Scripture and are useful in certain circumstances, as we've discussed. It does come with some cautions mm -hmm. and requires mature and genuine kingdom leaders so as to assist others to further enter the kingdom, right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, what's the next way to improve our kingdom leadership? I think an important and probably the final way, and left this to last because uh, it is around vision. It occurred to me several years ago that nowhere in Scripture does it say a leader should have vision. That's an interesting uh, observation. Well, I think all believers should have vision, but having a personal vision inspires others to action is silent in the New Testament, a function of the kings and the prophets and so on in the Old Testament. So you've got to consider the subject of vision because it is an assumption. This was an assumption of the nomination I was involved with. I had to be the visionary, and so I elevated my vision and created strategies for others to be a part of that and so on. But vision is an important topic, so let's have a let's have a relook at it, I think, Stephen, with this scripture in Philippians 3.13. Paul says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think this scripture sits on every believer, that we all have 
an upward call. So when we talk about vision, I think that the topic really should be about personal vision. A kingdom leader serves others by helping them to achieve their personal vision. What is God's calling on their life? If I'm going to sit in the chair of being a kingdom leader, I'm helping in that journey. I'm not creating some big, bigger vision than what they've got to, to try to mould and shape them a role within that. I'm uncovering the upward call on their life and helping them to engage. And so vision is important, but I think vision is really should be, in a kingdom sense, captured in the area of, of personal vision. When we get involved with organisations and, you know, people ask, what is the vision of the organisation? I transition to saying, people, our vision is to help you in your calling. That's easier said than done in an organisational sense. What that generally leads to is expressing a broad vision. One of the tenets of vision setting is to have a specific vision as possible. But a broader vision enables people to connect. People have greater diversity to connect. The natural conclusion of that in a kingdom sense is that as we focus on culture rather than strategy, a strategic vision is necessarily narrower than a cultural vision. And so it leads into the topic of cultural vision. We discussed in detail back in some of our 2020 podcasts that the kingdom vision is actually a cultural vision. Yeah, and cultural visions allow for the operation of, of a lot of strategic visions within that umbrella. We'll cover in, in an upcoming podcast how, how this specifically applies in more detail. If I am a kingdom leader and people are coming into my people group or organisation and my goal is to help them to fulfil the vision on their life, I've got to let, in one sense, that vision shape the broader community. If I'm not helping them, then they're in the wrong place. That necessitates me as a kingdom leader to broaden my view. The bigger Christian leaders in the world have generally have broader visions. Otherwise, I'm just creating roles within my own vision for people to follow. With these caveats and explanations, visionary style of leadership is still the most effective style for long-term motivation and engagement. But vision that includes others rather than vision that tries to conform others to our view of life and everything. If we're wanting to increase that visionary style, it means, of course, we need a vision. It needs to be compelling and we need to understand the personal vision of those that are, are coming into our sphere. And you can do this by being inclusive and relational and valuing their perspectives, which are a couple of key ways we've already mentioned today. Yeah, I mean, in terms of corporate vision, the broader the better. And I have to a calling to a country of Spain, for example. It doesn't stop us having the Lord just speaking to our heart about different aspects. We can't be everywhere. We can't do everything in the place that we're called to. And so we do need to understand what we're called to do in that. And so for me specifically, to have a kingdom focus here to help church and business have a kingdom focus in Spain is one of those visions that other people that are both here in Australia and in Spain can associate with because that's, that's also common to them. I don't want people not focused on a kingdom or called to Spain to be involved with that, understandably. Yes. Uh, and so I'm not trying to enrol them and force them into doing something that God has not already put on their heart. Having established vision, we should communicate it and good visionaries help people by communicating progress for those involved. How are we going? Are we actually achieving uh, what we're setting out to do? It's fair to say that each of us has a default style of operating as a leader as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you want a, a quick assessment, just send us an email. I can send you that assessment. And so, yeah, we do have default styles, things we do without thinking. 
and it's good to know what they are because it helps us to understand what situations we're going to be effective and what we're not. And considering our calling and our station in life, what do we need to develop to be to increase our effectiveness? We can't set about developing six styles at once, but maybe there's one style we've mentioned that's going to be helpful to what God's called you to do. We can, however, you know, look at each of these and make adjustments. We, we can serve people better by being relational and inclusive and to adjust our approach. The six ways you've suggested today are great places to start if you truly want to be a kingdom leader. Let me just recap those six sure. ways if I can. As you just mentioned, being inclusive or relational, developing people through coaching and mentoring, valuing people's perspectives, being an example of faith and character, giving clear directions and having a broad vision, which, as we mentioned, should be a cultural vision. Yeah, and the more options we have, the better the leader will be. We saw that Paul had different cultures, different types of people. Uh, for us, we, we can express the different types of people we meet in, in different ways, and we've, we've gone through one particular way today in terms of the emotional intelligence, leadership styles, if you like. If this is resonating with someone and they're listening and they're thinking, well, how do I determine which style I need to include or dial up mm. or which one should I eliminate or even dial down? How can they do that? Yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity to talk with a mentor. You know, one of the major responses I get from people is, well, I don't have a mentor. Maybe you don't call them that. Maybe it's a bit countercultural. To But there are people around all of us who can help us grow and develop. We don't have to say to them, you're now my mentor, mm. like we're in a Seinfeld episode. It's a trusted friend. It's a trusted friend. And just sit down and say, hey, I want to improve as a leader. Maybe it's a leader you know and you just want to have a coffee with them. You're not trying to lock them into a long-term relationship. It's mm. a hey, want to pick your brains on something. And really consider what you would like to develop. And I, I believe it's important to develop in line with what we're called to. We might be called to a very directive role. We might be called to be a fireman. We might be called to be a crisis manager. Like some people, that being one of the sort of more long-term negative situations, not, that style's not built for the long-term, it's built for the short-term. But whatever style we think that our situation or the people that God calls us to demands, we, we should develop. I know for me, I've been on a long-term journey of, of relational development. I'm a very task-focused person. So you just identify things and you make a decision to put those things first. From this, we can get an action plan to develop our leadership styles as a servant leader and consequently be more of a kingdom leader. That is great advice and certainly sounds like there's some wisdom in that. Thank you, Wayne. This has been Protoss, a podcast focused on pursuing the kingdom. And we really hope you've enjoyed joining us and we look forward to digging deeper into greater understanding of the kingdom of heaven next time we meet. Until then, I'm your host, Wayne Back. And I'm Steve Kyle. And we both wish you every success in your pursuit of more of the kingdom.